0: But we'll be over in uh, Matthew chapter six, and we're just going to look at this morning the first four verses uh, of Matthew chapter six. Uh, this is um, this text, Matthew six, and particularly the verses we're going to read today. But this text falls right in the middle of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, and uh, this is uh, really covers from Matthew six, or Matthew five six and seven. So it's really it's about three chapters long and I'm jumping, jumping right in the middle of that sermon, but it is um, one of Jesus's longest and definitely most well-known sermons. I mean, I can tell you people that don't even come to church, they know passages out of this, you know, they'll tell you Matthew seven, one judge, not lest you be judged, you know, things like that. People know things from what Jesus has said. And Jesus covers a lot of ground in this message that he's preached uh, but, I think a lot of it could be summarized in fact, if you were if you 're in Matthew six, go back to chapter five and verse twenty. I, I think this matthew five twenty is a good summary of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, "For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in summary, what he 's saying is pleasing God and Gaining eternal life, it requires so much more than just being a good person. It requires more than just living a life that meets certain ethical standards. In fact, you have to meet and exceed the best of the best in order to be able to do. It. And it's essentially, just to be clear just to be very clear with y'all, because I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I don't want to give you anything that Jesus didn't say. You can never exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. That's the message. You have to to be perfect in order to have heaven, and none of us can do that. So it is going to require divine intervention. That's the point. It's going to require divine intervention. Uh, But that's what he's been preaching about up to this point. In Matthew 5, he is covering a lot of the laws of Moses. And he talks about how Moses' law really focuses. And this is what his audience, when he was preaching this, would have understood, that the Moses' law had external actions associated with it. A pretty well-known part of the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, in verse 27 and 28, he says, you have heard that it was said of them of old times, thou shalt not commit adultery. He's literally quoting from the 10 commandments. He's saying, the Bible says, the Old Testament says, you're not supposed to commit adultery. But then he says in verse 28, he says, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. His point is saying, it's not just enough to not commit adultery. If you want to please God, and I think that's our standard, human standard, right? You know, don't commit adultery and you're going to be okay. He says, no, 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 <laughs> that is not enough. You can't even look at someone with lust. He says it's really not just about, I mean, the actions are one thing, but it's not just about the actions. It's about the attitude of the heart. And now in chapter six, he's turning his attention, same theme. Do you hear, hear that theme? It's a focus on the attitude. It's a focus on the heart. It's a focus on what's on the inside, not just what you do on the outside. He's still doing that. He's still focused on that, but now he's turning his attention to religious practices. I, I like this because I'm talking to folks on a Sunday morning in Ashe County, North Carolina. And I, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not a native of Ashe County, but I know that this, this area Uh, has been and is still uh, very religious in a lot of ways. But it ain't nothing like it used to be. I know that, and y'all know that better than I know that. Am I right? Am I even close to right? Okay. it's nothing like it used to be. And I say that to say I'm talking to people who are coming to church by your own choice. As far as I know, nobody forced you to come here. So I'm assuming that this sort of religious stuff is important to you. And by the way, and that's in a world in which it is waning, not just in Ashe County, it's everywhere. Nobody people just don't go to church like they used to. That's just the facts. And I say all that to say I want to make sure that you all because this is for you. This is if there's ever a message for church folk. It's this message, this series of messages because in Matthew chapter 6, he's turning his attention to prominent religious practices, what religious people do. And he says, "I want you to do them in a way Pleases God. He talks about, and we're going to talk about in the first four verses, he talks about charitable giving of your time and of your money. He uses the word alms. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Then he goes on to talk about your personal time of prayer and, and fellowship with God. He'll talk about that. We'll come up to that in a couple of weeks. And then he talks about the much neglected practice of fasting. Uh, I know I brought that up a couple weeks ago and I had a hard time preaching about it because I'm not much of a pastor. Uh, but I'm going to get, I'm gonna have to get better at it because I'm going to I'm gonna have to preach it. It's right here. Uh, but the fact is, he talks about there's a way to do that. And not only is he telling us how to do those things, he's sort of giving us instructions, especially in prayer. He tells us, here's how you should pray. He gives us some instructions on that. But he's not just telling us how to do this. He is saying, here's the attitude with which you must do these things. Practices these religious practices, if, in, if you have any hope of God being pleased with your religious actions, your religious service. And today we're going to look at giving that pleases God. Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 to 4. And I'm going to ask if you're able to, to stand with me as I read these four verses. I just want us to give attention to the Lord as he speaks directly to us through his word. I want you to pay attention to what he says. This is Jesus speaking. And here's what he says. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, Do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Would you pray with me, please? Uh, Lord, I, I um, I need your help to take what you've said, explain it to these folks, and help them to apply it. But Lord, I don't need your help. I need you to actually do this. You need to take your word and convict and find its home in the hearts of these men and women that are here. You're going to have to transform them. But Lord, I pray that you'll use me as you see fit to show them what you said and help them understand it and apply it. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The first, there's really three points. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you that there are three points to what I'm gonna tell you today. And I'm gonna say point number one, point number one is you are going to see no divine blessing. I didn't say some or less. I said no divine blessing. There is no divine blessing if you are giving in order to impress people. There's no blessing if you are giving in order to impress people. If you go back to verse 1, he says there, Take heed that you do not your alms before men. Uh, two things I want to say here. One is the word alms. It's not a word we use all the time, but that idea of alms is it's, it's giving to help people. It is often, it was probably primarily kind of a, uh, today we have things like Medicare, and Social Security, and things like that to take care of people who, are, who have the needs, but these, this time, they had nothing, no government assistance of any sort whatsoever, so if you had a need, you had to depend on your fellow neighbor to come by and help you out, and that's what these alms would have been, is them giving of that money or whatever those resources were to help. So as we read this, and it just to help you start applying this, When he's talking about alms, uh, the first thing you can think of, and I'm glad for you to think of this, is what money you might put in the offering plate for the church. You can certainly do that. Think about that. That's fine. That's part of this. That's part of your giving. But it's not just giving your money to the church. It might be giving money to somebody you know, a family member, a friend, or somebody that you work with that needs some help. It might not have anything to do with money at all. It might just be helping them out, encouraging them, working alongside of them, helping them find their way. So when when he uses the word alms here, I'm thinking of it as giving or helping or showing mercy. It's not just putting money in an offering place giving it to some charitable organization. I'm thinking about all the ways in which we take the resources we have and give them to other people. Okay, you Understand that? That's what we're talking about when he says alms. We're helping other people. And the second thing I wanted to make sure you understand is you'll see this in a couple of places here where he says, take heed that you do not your alms before men. He's never assuming that you're not doing this. He's assuming you're helping people. In fact, he even goes on to the next verse, verse 2. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, he's not saying if you're going to do them, he's not even suggesting that it's possible you might not help people. He's assuming that you're going to do this. This is a a bit of a duty. It's a responsibility. It's not an option. It's assumed, it's expected. Put it to you this way. It's the expected result of the grace that you and I have been given. You have been given so much. And, and and just for just a second, let's put aside all of the worldly possessions that we have. Just the spiritual blessings alone that we've received because Jesus died on the cross and we have eternal hope in heaven. That alone puts us in a responsibility to share that with everybody else. Now add on top of that, and I know you may not see yourself as wealthy, but let me tell you, even the poorest person in this room is probably wealthier than the majority of rest of the world because God has blessed this nation. He has blessed these people in a way that is just even. I don't think we even appreciate how much we've been blessed. We have what we have and God has given those things to us so that again is another grace which we now have a responsibility to use those resources that he's given us to help other people. As, as he says, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, he says for unto, for unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required. He's not given to you so that you can squander it, so you can sit on it. He is given to you so that you may use it for his glory and his honor to help other people. That's what he's given it to you for. But then the key question in verse one is that, that, that really should be coming to your mind is, who are we trying to impress with our giving? It's not, not are you going to give? In fact, I would even argue that even the most irreligious of people give something. You may not give it to the church, you may not give it to folks that you, you're gonna give it to some. You might give it to your favorite sports team, you might give it to your favorite automobile dealership, you might, you're gonna give it somewhere, you understand. And so it's not a question, are you going to give it? It's a question of who you're trying to impress when you do it. You're going to do it. Who are you trying to impress? That's what he says there. He says, take heed, be careful that you don't do this before men to be seen of them. Who are you trying to impress? Now, be clear here too. Jesus, when he says, don't do this to be seen, he is not saying that we're not to have public faith. I I don't want y'all to get that impression because I don't think that's what he's saying at all. In fact, Jesus says in other places, in fact, in chapter 5 and verse 16, the same message. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. In other words, it's not a problem that people know that you're a man or a woman of faith. That is not a problem. The problem is when you give, it's not that they say, oh, wow, look, that's a Christian. That's not the problem. The problem is, oh, look, isn't he so smart, so good, so nice, so kind, because that's why I'm giving in order to get that. Instead, what Jesus is saying is don't give just so people can give, can see you. Do you understand that distinction? He's not saying that it's a problem if somebody sees that you give. But I think some of us, again, nobody has to say amen here. So we, you can all look down at your, at your Bible if you want to. But you don't need to be giving so that people can say, ah, he did that. Ah, she did that. That's why some of us give, unfortunately. And he says, no, don't do it for that reason. Because, now listen to it this way. Think about this. If I give in order to be seen, like so, people know, Matthew is is such a giver. You know, Matthew always helps people. He's He's a helpful guy. He's a giving guy. Well, what I have just done is I have turned the attention from the one from whom all blessings flow, I have now turned it to me, to now be the one from, all whom, blessing, from, from whom all blessings flow. Jesus, or rather James says in James 1.17. That every good and perfect gift is from above. And cometh from the father of lights. In other words. If you have anything. If anybody has anything. They can sit there and say. I got it because I worked hard. I got it because of this. I got it because of the other thing. The only reason any of you. Including myself. Have anything is because God gave it to you. You can sit there and say, well, I don't you understand? I worked hard all my life. Well, who gave you the health and the strength to be able to do that? I mean, you really have to get down to it and understand that you literally have nothing of your own. So the minute that you take what you now have in your possessions that God has given to you, by the way, don't forget that. The thing that you have in your possession and you say, look at me, I'm going to give it away. What was it? Bill Gates It was some enormous amount of money, a billion dollars or something, which, wow, great. But why did he do that? I can guarantee you why he did that. Because he wants to be known as a person who's a giving person. And that's great. I'm glad that he wants to do that. But God said, you do that, you do that, and what you're doing is you're not saying, you actually are saying, rather, I am the one from whom the blessings flow, not that God is the one. We're seeking the tension that is rightly due to God himself. And if we do that, just think about that for a minute. If God has blessed you with everything that you have, and then you take a little bit of that and say, look at me, I'm giving it away. Look how good a person I am. What do you think God's going to do to that? Think he's going to bless you for that? Think he's going to say, well, that's all right. You go ahead. You keep doing that. No, no, no. He's not going to be pleased with that. In fact, that's why he says in verse one, Otherwise, if you do that, you're going to have no reward of your father, which is in heaven. Don't expect any sort of blessing from God if you do it that way. So point number one is don't you'll receive no blessing if you give in order to impress other people. Point number two is you're only going to receive earthly blessings, temporal blessings. And I don't even call them blessings. I actually use the word wages. You will get earthly wages if you do it in order to get praise of other people, to impress people, look at verse two. He says, therefore, because, because of that, you're not going to get any reward from God in verse one. If you do this to to impress people, verse two, because of that, when thou doest sign on, when you do give, when you do help people, don't sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Now, it begs this question. What do you want for your help? You're giving, you're helping, you're giving away, you're, you're being, you're showing mercy. What is it you're expecting in return here? Well, if you're doing this because you want an audience's applause, then you're going to try to manipulate that. That's why he uses, look at what he calls them here. He calls these people hypocrites. These people that go out and they sound the trumpet because they're, they're playing to an audience. They have to work that audience. They have to, they have to show themselves as something so that that audience is, is something that the audience likes. They have, to, they have to manipulate that audience in order to get them to where they are. On the other hand, let me just tell you, if God is your audience, if you are trying to say, God, I'm giving this because I want to honor you. You don't have to manipulate God, fact, you can't manipulate God. He knows your heart. He looks on the heart. He knows where you are. But if I'm trying to get you to think better of me, I have to do a little song and dance to make you think differently of me. That's why I have to be a hypocrite. I have to, let, I have to act like, I have to act as if, you know, Oh, I'm this, this really kind and sweet guy when, in fact, the reason I'm doing it is because I just want you to think good of me. I want you to talk well about me. If that's why I'm doing it, look at what he says here. He says, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. If your goal in giving is to change people's mind, make them think well of you, if your goal is to give them praise you, let me at least acknowledge something real quick. Let me do this before I keep going. Nobody in this room, because y'all are smarter than this, nobody in this room is ever going to say out loud, the reason I'm doing this is to get people to think well of me. Nobody's going to say that. But you and I both know, and again, you don't have to say amen. I just know me. I'll confess my sins for you. But sometimes that's why we do it, to get other people to think. Can Can I put a very, very personal example out for you? There was a time that I was a pastor of a church. The reason I was pastoring is I believe that was what God wanted me to do. It's what I still believe God wants me to do. But I was, there was a part of me, there was an attitude in my heart that said, I'm doing this and I expect that people are going to appreciate what I'm doing. Because I am sacrificing, I'm working hard. Y'all follow me? Okay? That's what my attitude was. Something went wrong. And I got bitter because I didn't feel like I was appreciated. I didn't, I didn't feel like I was appreciated off my I don't think what. I guarantee you I was appreciated at all. But you understand where that went wrong? Was Matthew ever going to say in that moment, hey, you know what, my, I, I really just am doing it so these people will love me and think well of me. I'm never going to say that. If I was honest with myself, deep down, there's part of me that was doing it for that reason. Because here's what he says. Look at what he says. He says, if you're doing it, verse 2, that the whole thing, if you're doing it to get the glory of men, he says, they have their reward. He says, at best, you're going to get what you're going for. In that situation I was describing, the best, the best possible outcome would be people would appreciate me. But that's it. That's my reward. People appreciate me. Okay? At worst, Y'all know people, you work with people, you live beside people, you got people in your family, you is people, we're all people, right? We understand how people work. At best, you're gonna get that. At worst, you're going to get something less than you hoped for, and you know what it's gonna do in you? It's gonna make you mad, it's gonna breed resentment, it's gonna breed bitterness. You ever done that? You ever done something for somebody and expected them to be thankful for what you've done and they weren't as thankful as you wanted them to be? If, if you haven't, I'm sorry, I have a lot. But you know what? If my goal is to get them to be thankful, I'm either at best gonna get that, and that's it, I'm done. I got the Thanksgiving, and that's it, we're done. There's no more reward, it's just their Thanksgiving. Or at worst, because they're human beings, just like everybody else, I'm gonna be sorely disappointed. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be resentful, I'm gonna be bitter because they weren't thankful. And you know what I'm gonna do the next time they need help? Forget you, buddy. I ain't going to help you. You ain't going to be thankful. Again, as one preacher says, you can say amen, but if you can't say amen, you can say ouch, and that's fine. That's the reality of how our hearts work. And Jesus knows that, and he says here, listen, don't go around trying to get everybody to pay attention to you and praise you. He says, if you get that, you're going to get it, and that's it. That's the final and total of your reward. On the other hand, I just want to make sure we don't, don't miss the opposite of this, where if we're giving and we're helping and we're, we, we are showing mercy in order to praise God. Did you hear what I said? That, that, that the reward is praising God. It's the opportunity to serve him. If we come at it from that perspective, not, as I ser- not as with eye service as men pleasers, But as the servants of God, that's how Paul talks about it in Ephesians 6. In other words, our payment, our reward is the opportunity to worship. (laughs) I can just promise you right now, you're going to get that opportunity well into eternity. That is never that, that payment is never going to be paid in full. You're going to constantly be given opportunities to worship him. If your goal instead of being worshipped is to worship the true God, you are going to get those opportunities. So therefore, let me lead me to my last third point here. The third point and the last point, which is we will receive rewards of real value if we give in genuine worship of God. If you're giving, and make sure I'm real clear about applying this, when I say giving, if you write a check and put it in that offering plate when it's passed on Sunday, if you do that, it's worship to God. If you have a a person that's in your neighborhood and you know they're having a tough time, maybe they've been sick or out of work and you do what you can to give them some work or give them some help. If you do those kind of things as worship to God, if you see somebody that you don't even know and you try to help them along in some way, knowing full well they'll never be able to repay you back. If you do that, not to get rewarded, not to get recognized, but to worship God and say, God, I'm doing this one for you because you've given me so much. If you will do it that way, there's real valuable rewards that come as a result of that. Because he says there in verse 3, but when thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. Your motive matters here. This this phrase of let not your left hand know what your right hand's doing, he's not saying that you have to trick yourself. That's not what he's saying. Because I I don't know about you, but my left hand knows exactly what my right hand's doing. If I don't, there's a a neurological problem. And you you understand, he's he's using a figure of speech to essentially say, check your motives. Make sure you're not doing this for your purposes. Your motives matter. Can I just add add to this point here to say, this sounds mean, but I, I need to say it this way. God doesn't need your help. He does not need your help. And I want to make that real personal here at North Beaver Baptist Church. God has blessed this church. He has blessed this church through the years, through the decades. Some of y'all know that. I, most of y'all know that way better than I know that. I just know it from your stories. God has blessed this church. And God has used some of you to financially give to this church. He's used that. But did you know if you had been stingy and decided, you know what, I'm not going to give a thing to this church. If this is God's church, God would still find a way to bless this church in spite of you and me. So he doesn't need us. He uses us. Thank God he uses us. But he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. So God is not in the fundraising business. He's not. He doesn't need us. Now, does he give us an opportunity to give? Absolutely. And this is wonderful that he does. I get to be part of co-labor with him. I get to do this. But God doesn't need my investment. Instead, what God is doing for me and for you is he's offering us avenues, paths to worship and praise him. On Wednesday night before I headed out, not this past Wednesday because Charlie was here. But before that, I was talking about Hebrews chapter 10. And I just want to remind you of what something that was in that passage in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. He says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he had consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh and having an high priest over the house of God. If you're listening to the words there, there he's just piling on avenues and paths and ways and opportunities that he has given to us. He is, he is giving us ways to get into his presence, ways to be in his presence. Jesus' blood was shed, his body was broken. He is now holding my hand as my high priest, enter, ushering me into the presence of the holy God of the, of the universe. I have all of that given to me. So he says, the writer of Hebrews says, because of that, let us draw near. In other words, you got another opportunity. It's like, the, it's like, the, like the, the dinner table is spread and that dinner bell has now been rung. What are you going to do? Well, I don't know as I want to go. Are you going to say that? I'm telling you right now, if that dinner bell's rung, I'm there as quick as I can be. What God has done is he has spread the table for you. He is now not giving you the burden of giving. He is giving you the blessing, the opportunity. So if you will serve him, if you will, if you will believe in him, if you will follow him, he has given you that opportunity to worship him and to, to, to be in his presence. And that one way that he is, one of the ways, one of the ways, there's so many ways, but one of the ways he's done that is to now let you be a giver, to be one who helps people. That's what he is now offering to you. So instead of approaching giving as, ah, oh, it's a burden. Is that preacher talking about giving again? Oh, they're passing that, at Baptist church, every time I go there, they're putting a plate in front of somebody's face. If you've got that attitude, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. You're missing the point.
1: Everybody and his brother who's got his hand out waiting
0: for something. You're missing the point if that's your attitude. You're missing the point. Because it's not about you. It's not about you being self-sufficient. I've already given enough. It's not about you being self-conscious. Oh, I don't have enough to give. I hope nobody notices. It's not about you being self-congratulatory. I've given so much to help so many people. In fact, you have to, as he says there in verse 3, you have to essentially forget what you've given. Act as if you don't even know what you've given because you've been given so much. It's not about you at all. Instead, instead, it's about him and him alone. Give as he has blessed you. Don't even answer this. I mean this. Don't even answer this. Has God blessed you? If in your mind you can say yes, he has, then what He's done is he's given you an opportunity to give. So you give as he's blessed us. We give because he's blessed us. We give pointing other people to his blessing. If anything, we're essentially trying to say, I'm giving this because God has given me so much. If you will take this and honor God he'll give you an opportunity to give that's the way we need to be operating we're looking for his continual blessings which is why he closes out this passage in verse four he says that that alms may be in secret that idea of secret is not that we don't report our giving to the government if y'all need to take a tax uh, tax break on your giving you go ahead and do that I don't think the Bible's anything against that It's not what he's talking about there. But he's saying there, if thine alms be in secret, that thy father which seeth in secret himself, this is the key phrase, shall reward thee openly. That word openly is not just necessarily that everybody's going to see it. That could be part of it. The bigger point there is it is plain. It is evident. It is clear. This is going to be something you know that's a blessing from God. That's what he's talking about there. So instead of us sitting there saying, oh, I don't know if I'm going I'm to do this or not. I, I, I don't, I've already given too much or I, I don't have enough to give. Instead, what we can do is say, God, you have blessed me and you're going to continually bless me. So I'm going to look for that clear blessing that you're going to give me when you give it to me. And this is the kind of giving that pleases God. His rewards are evident. His rewards are plain. His rewards are valuable. So much so that nobody can take away or diminish his rewards. Let me me just read this. I'm I'm running out of time, but let me read this. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. I've written this down. According to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. Jesus has died on the cross and begotten us again. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven For you. If you're giving. Let me just correct this thought. If you're giving. So that God will. Fill up your bank account. As some of these prosperity guys. Want to preach about. You're missing it. Because that's not. How did Peter put it? Incorruptible. Undefiled. And fadeth not away. That's not the kind of gifts God gives. If you're giving so that God will make you wealthy or powerful or whatever, you're missing it. We are giving to bless God, to praise him for what he has given to us. So that, yes, he's going to give us these indestructible, these undefiled gifts. But in Revelation chapter 4, I see that there are people gathered around the throne of God. And they have been given these crowns. And you know what they do to those crowns? They throw them at Jesus's feet. What I'm trying to get you to see is you're going to get something that is so valuable, so precious and so amazing by giving that you're going to say, wow, this is so valuable. I got to give it back to him. This is the way that he is given. This is the kind of giving that he gives us that when we the blessings he gives us are going to be so plain and so evident that they are clearly from him. And then my job is to see that and say, wow. I don't deserve this he's the only one that's worthy this is how giving works this is how it should work my invitation to you is just to ask you a few questions has God blessed you? well you should praise him for that and you know how you can praise him for that? go find somebody to help literally go find somebody to help do you want God's continued blessing on your life? And I can't imagine there's a person in here that wouldn't say, yes, please, Lord, continue to bless me. Well, praise him by giving away. I said giving away. I didn't say sell it. I didn't say, I didn't say negotiate a better price. I said give away some of what God's given to you, to somebody somewhere. Give it away. You may say, well, I ain't got any money. Well, I can guarantee you got a few time, a little bit of time on your hands. Give that away. Not just saying money, by the way. If y'all are hearing just money in this, you're missing it too, because it's all the resources we've been given. We've been given so many things. Some of us have been given time. Some of us have been given talent. Some of us have been given uh, energy. Some of us have been given affection, emotion. There's all sorts of things that we can get that God has given to us, and our job is to, if we want God's continued blessings on our lives, let's can give that away. Give some of that away, because I can tell you, God blesses abundantly. That's what He does. Do you want God to be pleased with your giving? I do. I really do. But as I already told you, my motives and my heart is so corrupt sometimes, most of the time. And I guarantee you yours is too. The only hope we have is to come to him and say, God, will you cleanse me? And will you correct my motives? I guarantee you there's at least two or three of y'all in this room that have tried to help somebody. Maybe you tried to give money to the church or to somebody or whatever. You've tried to do something, but you know in your heart of hearts that your motive was twisted and wrong. You were looking for somebody to say thank you. You were looking for some praise of men. You were looking for people to see you. And you would never admit that, and you don't have to admit that to me. But I'm saying you, that may be well where you are, but God will be pleased with your giving. If you will come to him and say, God, my giving is corrupt but will you cleanse me and correct me? You know what he does? He's merciful, he's, he's gracious, and he does that, he forgives, and he fixes us. Some of you, and the last, last thing I want to say, and I'll close. Some of you, unfortunately, are working, you're giving in order to earn religious points. I don't even know what the, how those add up, but you're working, you're doing it in order to gain some favor to kind of get in some position that if you do enough somehow that's what puts you in a position to go to heaven and I want you to know right now that you can never give enough to get into heaven you can't help people enough you can't put money on this you can't put money in the offering plate enough to go to heaven that's not how that works you have to look to God for his grace and for his mercy you have to look to God to enable you to give not as an investment. Not as an investment, but as praise. Jesus paid it all. Amen. All to him I owe. That's the, that's the invitation. I want to ask you to stand for just a moment. The, the, call, the, call, to you is, the call to you is to, to talk to the Lord. Correct your motives, have correct your motives. But I'd like to, I'd like to ask you this, and you don't, I don't want you to make this public. I just want you to do this in your heart if this, is in, if this is something you want to do. This is the invitation. Will you commit to taking some of the blessings God has given to you this week and giving them to somebody, something, somewhere? Will you commit to that? Again, maybe you want to come to the front of this church and make that commitment. Maybe you want to do it where you stand, but I want to invite you to do that. Will you commit to giving this week? Lord, please help us. Our our motives are all messed up. But we want to please you. And Lord, you have given us so many blessings. Urge us to commit. Prompt us to commit. Prompt us to be be helping people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You come as the Lord leads.